Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, June 14th, the Easy Baby Envy edition. I'm Gabriel Roth, an editor at Slate and the father of Eliza, who's seven, and Leo, who is three and seven eighths. I'm Rebecca Lavoy. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we have a question about downsizing after a divorce and another about parent envy. Plus, as always, we will have triumphs and fails. We'll have recommendations and on Slate Plus. Today, we're going to take an extra question. Time now for triumphs and fails. Carvel, missed you last week. How was it? Triumph or fail? Um, I Overall, this has been a week of relative triumphs. Um, both the kids, we've entered into summer, and uh, both of them are, you know, doing what they do in summer. That is to say that Ezra is, like, trying to avoid everything, and Georgia is taking everything on <laughs> head on. But um, to Georgia's credit, she I think I mentioned before that she um, initiated this process whereby she enters into this STEM, or I guess STEAM it is now, Science, Technology, Education, Arts, and Math camp at Mills College. Um, we got that set up for her a couple of weeks ago, and she started this week and has just been super excited about it and um, has, like, kind of motivated herself to get there every day. It involves getting up super early in the morning. It involves getting all the way out to campus um, or getting to her school, from which they take a chartered bus out to the campus, and then involves her getting back on her own. And she just found out yesterday that all the kids who complete the camp get a $5,000 scholarship should they decide to go to that college. Um, and so she called me as, yeah. And so as soon as she got out of camp yesterday, she called me up and was like, dad, I got a college scholarship. And I was like, what already? <laughs> and yet I also was like, that doesn't surprise me that you already got a college scholarship because I know how you are. And she was like, yeah, they said, if we complete the camp, then we are eligible for a $5,000 scholarship to Mills college and you know, whatever. So, um, so she's just excited and she's like, I just love the fact that my kid is like going off to do math, science and engineering on her own uh, at this age. And it reminds me of my own youth when I attended the uh, the science, math and engineering camp at UCLA this summer between eighth grade and ninth grade. Um, and uh, I literally sat in a classroom studying analytical and transformational geometry for like three weeks of my own volition at the age of 14 in the summer in L.A. And it sounds like the most ridiculous thing a kid could do, but I was really into it. And uh, I don't know, it's just kind of cool to see Georgia doing the same thing and, and having fun with it. So that's my triumph for now. That's awesome. Rebecca, how about you? Triumph or fail? 
Uh, it's a triumph, but um, I'm going to kind of like it's it's sort of an atypical one because it's sort of about a group of kids and it's about um, Henry and his roommates at the Senate Page School. I went to pick up Henry last week and uh, we had a wonderful dinner in D.C. the night before he his little graduation and uh, award ceremony. Then we went to the graduation award ceremony. He won an award, but that's not the triumph. I just wanted to slip that in there. Uh, it was very exciting. Uh, but what was really cool was that, you know, going all the way back to January when these four boys moved into this room together uh, in the Senate Page uh, program, they have a dormitory. It's very much like a college situation. And they had easily in the whole program the most diverse room in terms of where the kids were from, who, who they were working for, who had sponsored them as senators. We had an African-American kid from Charleston. We had a kid from Mississippi who was like all about going to a military academy for college. We had Henry, who's from New Hampshire, and we had a kid from Washington State. Two were sponsored by Democrats, two by Republicans. And they kind of immediately hit it off. They were a very cohesive uh, room of boys. They didn't have any drama in their room, and apparently some of the other rooms did. They all got along really well. They were all very close. They became great friends. And um, the most exciting part for me, and I've been thinking about this a lot this week, especially given our conversation on the podcast last week, and thinking about how teenagers are just so much better at doing uh, stuff in terms of listening and changing and evolving and sort of moving uh, who they are and who their communities are and, and shifting thoughts and ideas within their communities than adults are. And these boys are such a wonderful example of that. Um, at the end of the program, we all got together before the award ceremony. The parents were all sort of herded into this one room. We weren't allowed to go in until like 10, but a bunch of us arrived early and we're all talking. And the the roommate parents, all we all kind of found each other and we were chatting. And the thing that really stuck out to me was that all four of them, including Henry, had reported to their parents and we were sharing this with each other, like, some huge mind shift that they'd made while they were at this program because of this community of kids that they were in, especially the room they were in. So, you know, one of the kids who, uh, the kid from Mississippi who was like stalwart, definitely going to the military academy, like definitely, you know, really politically like straight and narrow, like had his ideas sort of set, kind of knew what he believed, knew what he wanted. He's now calling his parents in Mississippi and he's like, yeah, I, I still want to visit the academies, but I also want to think about you know, some of the East Coast schools, I, I, you know, I'm sort of thinking and, and sort of thinking my ideas about what I was thinking I wanted to do and my politics might be shifting. And, you know, uh, and then the kid from uh, from Charleston, who, you know, definitely was feeling like he came in, he didn't really have a sense of where he wanted to go, what he wanted to be. Now, he has also shifted and changed. And it's been formed by conversations he had with my son. And I just I felt so good for these kids that they were able to live together for this period of months not just influence each other positively in terms of like their work and their homework, but also, you know, their mindsets, their politics, their goals, their worldviews were influenced by one another. And they made like a really cohesive community. Um, and it just I, I just think kids are better at it than adults are. And I'm I was really impressed with all of them, not just these four boys, but all the pages in general. But it felt really, really good to send my son into this new situation. He, you know, made all these friends, you know, 20-something friends and all, and he came back different. And he came back thinking different things, feeling different things, believing different things, and perhaps, like, looking at a different kind of future than the one he thought he was going to have because he was open 
to the different ways of thinking, the diverse ways of thinking, and like the geographically diverse ways of thinking of these young people. And it's, it's kind of what I think we experienced maybe when we all went to college the first time and like lived in a dorm with different kinds of people from around the country. But it's a great reminder, I think, that uh, just how good um, kids are at that in a way that we are not as grown-ups. Hmm. So <laughs> that's my triumph for the week. So what was, how did nice. Henry change his position or his views? Well, he's now talking about a lot more service-oriented um, ideas. He's seriously considering taking a gap year. He's uh, really thinking about doing something like, you know, applying for programs like AmeriCorps. Um, he's really interested in kind of putting the brakes on what he saw as a very linear uh, future. You know, he's like, maybe I'll apply to colleges, but I have real, I've come to realize through this experience because they worked so hard and they did so much. Um, and he was with a lot of kids who were just really good at 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 chilling out in a way that he's not as good at. And he's kind of realized that, like, maybe just crashing through uh, from high school, you know, directly to a career path or, you know, a really intense pathway, you know, maybe he needs to stop and look around because what he's realized is that there's more than just this linear hallway that he saw himself walking down uh, in the next few years. So, you know, those are the kind of kinds of conversations he's having right now. You know, he's also, I think, it, it doesn't hurt that he's working in the Senate. He saw the process up close. You know, he saw senators who hate each other on TV riding the subway together and drinking coffee and laughing. So there's sort of a broader worldview there, too, I think, of, of you know, politics versus people that has also influenced his thinking. But He's definitely, you know, talking more about broader ideas than he did when he left. And um, I know it's because he was in this community of, of kids, and it's just wonderful. That's really cool. Awesome. Cool. So I had a triumph that built on a more impressive triumph that I have to credit to my wife. <laughs> so first I'm going to tell you about her greater triumph, but only with the intent of getting to my own much smaller and less impressive triumph. So she, it was Leo's birthday is coming up and she organized the birthday party and I did almost nothing. I usually help a bit, but this time because of the way the schedules worked out, she wound up uh, not using me in on, on this particular project. Um, she put together a birthday party for him and his best friend from his uh, preschool class. The two of them, his birthday is in July and the friend's birthday is in late May. And so the two, and, and uh, we're all family friends. And the, so the two moms put together a party uh, in, in July. And so they only had, you know, it's all the same preschool friends. And so all the same friends came and everybody was happy to only have to go to one of these. And, um, the two kids really had a, got a kick out of sharing their birthday party with one another. And it was really cute and, and fun to see. And, um, we did it at the carousel on, in Brooklyn Bridge Park and all the kids got to ride around on the carousel. And I myself accompanied children on the carousel for about two hours. And, and that does not make you feel feel great in your stomach, uh, but it, it was a really fun party. We had a good time. Um, here was my much, much smaller triumph. My smaller triumph was um, after the party, you know, we go home and we have all these presents. And and nowadays, in my day, the kid would open the presents at the birthday party while the other kids looked on enviously. Like that was a big part of the thrill of having a birthday party was to be the guy being seen to acquire all of this new great <laughs> stuff. But nowadays, we've, we've decided that that kind of performance of acquisition is, is no longer what we want to inculcate in our children. And so, uh, at least in my community, 
Uh, the kid opens the presents back at home afterwards. Like you take them home all wrapped and they, they unwrap them there. So we unwrapped all these presents one after another. And, and I remembered really vividly all of the previous birthdays, especially like when Eliza was this age. I, I really hate the thing where they get a million presents. And I hated it because the kid just wants to experience the like, now I have a new thing. And now I have another new thing and now I have another new Mm -hmm. thing and now I have another new thing. And so even as they are like, they're just taking in like, what is this present? I've unwrapped it. Oh, it's uh, what's the next present? The enjoyment of having this particular thing, like the idea that you might want to play with this toy or play this game or read this book or do this puzzle or whatever it is, is just completely lost in the experience of getting one thing after another thing after another thing. It just always felt horrible to me. And so this time as we were opening the presents, I tried to like slow down the tempo and make sure that he was like actually seeing what each thing was. And then for the rest of the afternoon, for like two and a half hours, I played one of the games with him. I put together one of the like assemble your own gear driven motorcycle thing with him. I read the book to him like we're going to go through your presents and you're actually going to like experience them and get the pleasure out of playing with them. And now they've been and what I remembered happening with Eliza was she would open them all. There would be this huge pile of junk. We would all have to go do something else or 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 we would like put the things over somewhere and then do something else. And they would just kind of sit there inert and never get in, incorporated into her routines of play or, or her activities or anything. And it just always made me sad that we were accumulating all this crap that people were spending money on that, that was just sitting there inertly in our home. Uh, and I, I made an effort to like make sure that he got to do something with most of these things. And, and we did, we did it pretty successfully. And today without me, he took apart the gear motorcycle and put it back together in a different way. And, um, Mm. there's a couple things we didn't get to because they involve more complicated, uh, mechanics and, and building. And he's now talking about when are we going to make this kit? And I said, Saturday, we're going to make that kit. Um, and so I feel like this is a small aspect of parenting that always bugged me. And now I have like <laughs> successfully done the work of making it work properly and not bug me. Um, small triumph on the, on writing on the back as usual of a larger triumph of someone else. <laughs> I just want to let you know, I've never, I've always believed too, that you should bring the presents home and not open up the party. I've always felt that way too, because I've, I've always felt weird about like the disparity between gifts or like. The idea that, you know, one kid is opening up a bunch of gifts and then the other kids have to watch. It's always felt super weird to me. It forces so 12 we've always kids. Done that. It, it forces 12 <laughs> kids into the position of envious spectator. Like, that how, and how also is that ranking, a fun day? And also ranking quality of gifts, right? Yeah, Which right, is like, of course. You know, it's like a lot for a lot of kids. It's just like whatever your mom bought. It has nothing to do with you. Right. These, <laughs> these kids are three or four. None of them had any input into the gift at all, except the, the kid who probably did have input is one of the parents asked her daughter, what does Leo like? And the daughter said, quite accurately, Leo likes PJ Masks. And so now we have one of those books of PJ Masks where you press a button and it plays the PJ Masks theme song or the catchphrase <laughs> of each of the PJ Masks characters. Mm, so I sort time. of wish that that kid had not been so involved in choosing that particular gift. That's not my favorite of all of the gifts. The that other parent hates you. That's yeah. why they picked that gift. I think that's probably <laughs> right. He, he loves it. He loves it. It's his favorite of all of the gifts, obviously.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer on air, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833, or you can email us at slate.com. If you're not a member of our Facebook group, you should become a member of our Facebook group. So much great discussion happening there about the show and about parenting in general. Just go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting, the Slate Parenting group in Facebook. On Slate Plus today, we're going to take an extra question this time. It's a question from a listener about a nine-year-old girl who likes to hug a little too much, a little too often, a little too hard. To hear that segment and another like it every week, you can sign up for Slate Plus. It's a great way to help support the show. Just $35 for your first year, and you get an extended episode of this show and all of our other shows every week, plus no ads in any of your Slate podcasts. So if you want to join, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. All right, let's go. Time to take a question. This one came to us by email. This email was signed by The Divorcee with Two Bedrooms. It's being read for us by Slate IT specialist Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. My husband and I are separating after nine years of marriage. We have two kids, a girl who is seven and a boy who is four, almost five. I'm the mom, and for a variety of reasons, we've decided I'll be the one to move out. I'm moving into a townhome. It has some great features, and it's very near our current home, but it only has two bedrooms. It should be a pretty short-term arrangement until we get a separation agreement in place, and I can buy a house. With that in mind, I don't know if I should put the kids together or have one of them, probably the younger boy, sleep in my room. The girl is a big reader and likes to spend time alone with a pile of books and some music. I think she will be most affected by the divorce and could use the space. On the other hand, they get along well most of the time and might get a kick out of sharing a room and bunk beds. We've decided to wait to tell them until I get the town home situated. So I kind of need to figure this out in advance. Thanks for any insights. Any separation advice, welcome also. The divorcee with two bedrooms. Any separation advice, welcome also. Five words that expand <laughs> the scope of this letter, maybe yeah, we, beyond we'd have our throw that capacity. in at the end. I'm pretty sure that the scope of this letter uh, was expanded. It's not about what, it, I mean, to me anyway, it's about a lot more than the sleeping arrangements mm. in this townhouse, right? Uh, say I more. Mean, we'll go on. Go on. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of angst here. The kids don't know yet. So mm. I think that this letter writer is anticipating a completely unknown future. You know, she doesn't know how her kids are going to react to this news. She doesn't know how the kids are going to react to having a whole separate house that mom lives in uh, versus the home that they lived in with mom and dad with their dad. And that is a very fraught situation and one that, um, you know, when I got divorced way back in 2007, 2008, uh, my ex-husband and I had to live together for six months when we'd already decided to get divorced because we needed to sell the house in order for both of us to be able to uh, get our own place. Like we couldn't, we couldn't afford for one of us to get a whole other place. And, um, you know, even if we could have afforded for one of us to keep the house and the other one to move out, I think 
it would have been better in our situation uh, for us to sell the house that we all lived in together, period, because there's, I think, a lot of potential pitfalls there for kids who are already having a hard time adjusting to being in a house where things used to be different, even though there's also something to be said for their being in a place that's that's familiar to them and comfortable. So I'm not saying that one is right and one is wrong. It's just... It's a minefield, um, you know, and first of all, I'm very sorry that you are in this situation. It's This is the hardest part. I promise you this is the hardest part, the beginning of a divorce. And sometimes the middle are the hardest part and sometimes the end. <laughs> but afterwards, you will you will realize this was the hardest part. And this problem that you're presenting of sleeping arrangements is, I think, something that um, you feel like you want to have settled and control so that it's something you can cross off the list. But I think that I what I hear is that there's just a lot more going on. Um, practically, I think either solution is fine. I think putting the kids together might be an adventure for them, might provide them some comfort. And if you do the bunk bed thing and it's not working out, you know, in the first few weeks and your uh, younger son wants to come in and cuddle with you and, and, and spend the night with you, you know, you always have that option if you have a larger than single bed to let him come do that. But um, my, my boys shared a room in the tiny house that I bought after my divorce. And I think even though there does come a point where it becomes logistically very difficult for um, kids to share a small room, which this was, um, it was good for them to be bunked up together, to be able to have those nights where they were able, able to talk together and, and whisper together and get in trouble together and jump on their beds together and make a mess together and have to clean it together. It did provide, I think, for them some stability um, getting through that period. So. I don't think there's a wrong answer here, but if it were me and you just asked me to choose for you, I would say set up the room for both and just, you know, if things are more difficult than you are hoping they will be or the transition is more difficult or you need to be flexible along the way, just don't buy a single bed for yourself. Make the room in your room just in case your younger son uh, wants to come join you sometimes. But I say go for it, bunk them together. And just know that this question is about a lot more <laughs> than what you're asking here. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Like I I when Joe and I separated uh the I the only apartment I we both moved out of the place that we were staying in because for a whole bunch of other logistical reasons that don't, you know, there's whatever. But um so I Joe moved into a two bedroom and I moved into a studio apartment, believe it or not. And this studio apartment was the only thing I could afford for the first like 2 years that we were separated. And um, because I hadn't worked full time for seven years because I was a stay at home dad. So it took me a while to get my career thing back started up. So I move into the studio apartment and it's got it's got a Murphy bed. It was actually a great little apartment in this old pre-war 1911 apartment building in downtown Oakland. And uh, it had a Murphy bed that was like behind this um, this uh, like cabinet of gla of like this like whatever it's called like cabinet so you turn this cabinet around like a like a freaking scooby-doo secret passage and then the <laughs> bed came down <laughs> and so and it was like a, I think it was a twin bed basically and then there was a couch we had this really big comfortable couch that I had Joe and I had acquired years before and then there was this pretty fancy like Japanese folding mattress that we had bought the year that my mother was sick and lived with us. And Joe and I slept on the floor in the living room during that time. And so for that whole first two years, me and the kids rotated. We 
like all slept in the same room, but we took turns. It was like, okay, tonight's your night in the bed, your night in the couch, your night in the mattress. Then it's the next night, it's the next kid's time in the bed, and couch, and mattress. And that house, I we had to do a lot in that apartment to make it work. I had to get, I bought these like this folding card table off of Craigslist, this vintage card table, so that I could set up a dining room and disassemble a dining room, um, you know, like as needed for meals. And um, it was, the kids were at that point five and seven, actually. And um, it was difficult, but the sleeping arrangements wasn't what made it difficult. And in Joe's house, she got a two-bedroom first, and then the kids slept in the same room. And that was difficult, but it wasn't the sleeping arrangements that made it difficult. Like Rebecca said, it was just the transition. I mean, it was Mm. just hard. It's really hard. And when I moved into that studio apartment and I knew that I was going to have to figure out how to parent two little kids in a studio apartment for an unknown amount of time, I decided that what was going to be most important was my attitude. I was going to have to keep together a certain feeling of connection and fun and playfulness and, and lightheartedness as much as I could. I was going to have to push myself beyond where I would normally like to go in order for that situation to be tenable for the kids because they were going through a tremendous transformation. And the problem was, so was I. The worst part about being divorced with kids is that you're heartbroken, but you have to parent. Mm. And I was like devastated, but I had to parent. And um, and I had to keep it, I had to deal with my devastation in some other place other than my parenting and that that took me a while to get the hang of and for the kids they my sense in looking back on it is what they really needed was they needed assurance that everything was okay they didn't need stuff and things and objects they needed assurance that everything was okay and after a while, it became clear to me that that was the main thing that I had to provide for them. And I could communicate that by having a good attitude, by laughing when things were funny, by, you know, by continuing to try. It's like that thing where you parent and you try to make the best of every situation. And that's what we had to do for a while. And ultimately, things unfolded in the way they did. I ended up getting a three bedroom, you know, like everything unfolded the way it did. And now the kids are fine. But you know, the practical advice here is mine is the same as Rebecca's. Like, set the kid up, set the room up for two beds. They may love it. They may get annoyed by it. If they, if it doesn't work out, put one kid in your room. Or if it doesn't work out, switch up because maybe the daughter's going to feel she may want her space. But then one day she may feel like, why does little brother get to sleep with mom all the time? And I'm in this room alone. I want to sleep with mom. So maybe you figure out some way to alternate nights. Or maybe they all sleep in your freaking bed, which happens sometimes because they're in a time of transition and they might need that assurance. But I feel like the togetherness was the main thing we had going for us in that studio apartment. As much as I could, like, stoke that feeling. And I, from what Joe tells me, that's the same thing she had going for her. So I think, I, I like Rebecca, I think that that's what it's really about. Yeah, I don't have any um, personal experience of this to share, so I'm mostly going to defer, except to say I wouldn't, like, announce okay, the big sister gets her own room and the little brother gets to sleep with mommy. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> the big sister, yeah. you know, she's seven and she likes her own space and she likes to read or whatever, but 
this is going to be hard for her and yeah. she's going to she's not going to be a big girl the whole time there's going to be times when she doesn't feel yeah. like a big girl she's going to regress yeah. a little bit um and and making it so that like oh you are the one who needs independence and space and he is the one who needs mommy and needs compassion and closeness uh that that doesn't seem like a great thing to do for her yeah and i mean yeah that's right and like the other thing is just no matter what the thing is at a time like this, it's really important not to make it feel like one kid is getting something that the other isn't getting. That's just that just drives kids crazy. It doesn't matter what the logic behind it is. If they feel yeah. like even if if one kid is getting their own room and the other one isn't, if one kid is sleeping with mommy and the other isn't, always you have to like avoid the feeling that one kid gets a thing and the other kid doesn't get that thing. Mm. Um yeah, so that's even that right there is just an argument for just setting it up with equality and then letting the situation play itself out. I think, too, it's, it's you know, one of the things that happens when you separate and divorce is you come to realize very quickly when kids are going back and forth between two houses that, you know, the only constant they have every day is each other. So yeah. that's it's wonderful, but it also is a lot of pressure. Uh, and then when the kids argue, it feels really bad because you're like, you guys mm. have to get along. You know, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, don't succumb to that temptation because siblings arguing is also super normal. It's a super normal pattern of siblinghood. And when they have the same arguments that they would have had, even if mom and dad weren't getting divorced, I mean, maybe they'll have more because they'll be more upset. But that's also OK. That is part of them having a relationship. It is part of their bonding. It is part of their sibling childhood experience. And Mm. things don't have to always be perfect between the two of them um, because it would make you feel better about the fact that all they have is each other every single day and they are going back and forth between these two places. So there are a lot of potential pitfalls here, but, you know, Carvel's absolutely right. Uh, Just the transparency around we're all in this together, if they can have that in both places, that is the most important thing that you can give them. All right. Thanks for the question. Um, hope this works out. And uh, if you happen to have any follow-up questions, uh, feel free to write back. Okay, let's take another question. This one uh, also came to us over email. That's momanddad at slate.com. Uh, this one is signed Green with Easy Baby Envy. It's being read once again by Shasha. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I was the first of my friends to get married and have kids. I had a very difficult pregnancy where I suffered depression. After my daughter was born, my husband had a hard time adjusting to parenthood, and we were considering separation. After a lot of thought, counseling, and rebuilding ourselves as parents and a couple, we decided not to have any more children, and my husband had a vasectomy. My daughter is now four, and my friends are finally getting married and having kids. One of my closest friends just had her first baby, and I am having a really hard time coping. Her pregnancy was a breeze, and she glowed throughout the entire thing. Now that the baby is here, she and her husband are gleeful. They have thrown four parties at their house. Their baby is three weeks old. They regularly go out on the town. Their baby sleeps perfectly. And everything is peachy fucking keen. I want to feel happy for my friend, but I feel so resentful and sad for my own loss. I constantly compare our experiences and feel so sorry for myself. I am having a hard time supporting her and often dread seeing her. Am I a horrible person for feeling so jealous? How can I support her while also being kind to myself? Thank you so much. Green with easy baby envy. I really, I love this question. Um, I really (laughs) want to thank you for writing this question to us. Um, 
mostly because being a parent is sometimes hard. I think all three of us hosts agree, and and I think probably everybody listening to this show agrees with that. Um, I think it's also true that for some people it's harder than others. And that can be to do with external circumstances, and it can be to do with your internal psychology, and it can be to do with your marriage, and it can be to do with your kid, and it can certainly be to do with postpartum depression. And um, I think it's just really important that we remember that and and that um, for the people who have it easier, uh, for the people where like everything seems peachy fucking keen, as the letter writer puts it, um, and for the people for whom it's really hard, then to see those other people for whom everything seems to be super easy, yeah, I the, I can imagine that there would be a ton of resentment, that, that there would be a ton of envy, that there would be a ton of like, well, I'm putting in all this work to do this really difficult thing and I'm miserable all the time, but I think I'm just about keeping it together and, and, and making an okay life for my kid. And for you, everything is fucking bliss? That just seems horrible. Um, I think we don't talk about that enough. And so I'm, I'm glad you're telling us about it. That's not advice. That's just gratitude. Yeah. I mean, I, I can assure you letter writer that this kid will steal a car and be in a juvenile detention facility by the time they're 13 (laughs) because parenting is never easy the whole way through and it's never hard the whole way through. It just, it just, it just ebbs and flows. I mean, it just does. And like having a, a difficult pregnancy and early childhood or early babyhood, whatever you want to call it, that period of time, infancy, that's the word, having having a difficult pregnancy and a difficult infancy is um, incredibly painful. It's just so draining. And it's true that some people get it worse than others. I know people who had morning sickness the entire time. They were pregnant. I know people who, well, whatever. We all know people who had terrible experiences, babies that were colicky from day one and it just never ended and it was nightmare after nightmare and kids had surgeries and it's just, there's, there is no fairness to it. It's, it's scattershot. But over the long term, things do kind of, I don't want to say even out because I don't believe there's that kind of order to it, but I do know that every parent gets their difficulty serving Sometime along the way, and you never know when it's going to be. And it is, I think I we all know stories of kids who were like babies who were unbelievably difficult, infants and toddlers, and then were just darling teenagers and sweet, not a peep out of them, no trouble. And I think we all know kids who, you know, were like dream babies and then adolescents. It was a nightmare. You just, you never know. So that's the one thing about those people's parenting. The other question here is like, how do you, what you're really talking about isn't really about them. They just sort of trigger it in you. You're just still in mourning about how painful it was. And I think that's totally appropriate to give yourself that time and space to be in mourning about that and to have grief about that until you're done grieving it. You don't have to rush through it. You don't have to rush through it for them. You don't have to rush through it for yourself. You get to just let that take as long as it takes because it is painful maybe even traumatic in some cases here's this tiny infant suddenly thrust into your hands by the universe and all the physical and emotional pain that comes with it it's a lot to suddenly transition into the lack of sleep and the stress and all of it 
Your question about how to support this mom and this family and their kids, it doesn't sound like she needs a whole bunch of support. Like, it's not like she's going through something terrible and you've got to be there for her as a friend. It sounds like if you need to take a little bit of space from her because of the fact that it brings up these issues for you, a little bit of space, that's fine. Seems like she's going to be okay because her kid is a dream. And, uh, and I don't know that I would recommend, like, ending the friendship because I, I don't think that this envy, I think envy is a good reason to end a friendship. But I think it's a, I think it's appropriate and okay to take a little bit of space if you find that it's just a lot for you. And my guess is that that will pass as your kids go through and develop more, as more is added to the story. As your toddler becomes, you know, delightful and their toddler develops some weird thing where they're biting kids or something and then they're hella stressed out and you're trying to support them. But secretly you're like, ha that's what you get for having an easy kid. Like, I think that there's so much more is going to be added to the story that in the end it'll all kind of shake out in the wash. Um, so, I mean, that, that's my advice. God, I did have one more thing to add, but I forgot what it was. Anyway, yeah, so that that's what I think. <laughs> Um, I have something that I'd like to add to this, and I'm just going to, of course, with the caveat that I am not a mental health professional, um, but I'm concerned. I think that um, what I what this letter reminds me of is my own experience with depression at certain points in my adult life. Um, I remember talking to uh, an actual mental health professional when I was experiencing some severe depression, and what she told me was that you know, when you're really depressed, reality is not true. So for instance, if you are depressed, um, you know, if you're hoping for a sunny day, then puddles on the ground will really bother you in a way they wouldn't if you weren't depressed, because the hope of a sunny day is just the hope of a sunny day. Uh, When you're not depressed, it doesn't take on the added burden of uh, what you're experiencing and what the illness is at the time. And I, I I am obviously not diagnosing you. I can't do that from one letter you wrote. I'm also not a professional. But what I hear here when you talk about your loss is I think what you're grieving here is the loss of, it sounds like what you hoped your life with your husband and kid or more than one kid might look like. Um, and it didn't work out the way that perhaps you thought it could. And so that hope, it differs from the reality on the ground. And I think it might be being enhanced uh, by some some complicated feelings or perhaps something that um, I would advise you to, to talk to someone about. Because I, I think there are situations, obviously, that happen all the time where somebody else has something that looks like what we thought we wanted. And when we feel good and we're healthy, Typically, you might feel those like little nagging feelings of envy that like prick you, but they don't hurt. It just feels like, mm. oh, man, that friend of mine is so fortunate. And and what comes with that is some joy for your friend. I mean, that's a very mm. like, typical reaction when you're feeling good and you're healthy. Um, I think some of the feelings you're describing here could potentially be hallmarks of not feeling good and not being 100% healthy. And if it were me, I would find someone to talk to about those feelings and where you are um, and whether or not it's, you know, feelings and health or whether or not it's where you are in your life and whether or not it looks like what you want it to look like. I mean, I think I think there's more here to explore. I don't think it's about being angry with the friend. I think that's a symptom, and I think it's super, super 
uh, natural. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with those feelings. I think mm-hmm. they're uh, common. And I, I think that in 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 your situation, I would challenge anybody to not feel the way that you feel and have the, the sort of sense. But it does not make you a terrible person. It doesn't. But I, I do think that it might be time to reach out and find someone to talk to to, to work some of these feelings out and, and to see if there's something more going on here. Yeah, that's well said, I think. Yeah, I just actually that I just remember the other thing I was going to add, which isn't I mean, it's sort of like, yeah, there's this distinction drawn between what whatever it has to do with a friend and whatever it has to do with yourself and then digging into maybe what are some of the things that are going on with yourself. But one more thing I remembered about the friend is that one thing I've learned about the nuclear family is that you just never know when someone's happy or not. Mm. You really don't. And even if they look happy and they seem happy, they it's not always the case. And I just I, I just remember um, I just remember that when when Joe and I got separated, I guess this is coming up a lot today. One of the reactions I'm now remembering is that everyone was like, but you guys were the happiest family. Mm-hmm. But like if you guys can't do it, then no one can. You know, it was that kind of thing because we. I don't I mean I don't know why that was the impression that we left with people but we did and we did throw parties and people did come over and we did like open the house and there were friends and kids running around and it was just a big party all the time and you know but I I just there's always more to it so whatever part of this just that tiny little part that is sort of um you know kind of pricked by the idea that these other people are enjoying a life some substantially better than yours i just want to throw in another kind of um kind of like a plug for the fact that that might not be the case it's almost always likely that it's not the case because young couples with babies are always suffering <laughs> no matter how they look because it's really hard yeah i mean i was going to say and and human beings too like mm. every <laughs> yep. every other human being you see is walking around with some pain of their own. Except I have this one friend who I'm sort of convinced he isn't, and that always explodes my understanding of the world. Um, He's but, the exception but, that proves the rule, though. Yeah, yeah, of course. With the exception of this one guy I went to college with, literally every human being in the world is carrying around their own pain. And um, yeah. it, it, when you start feeling too much envy, it's good to remember that. Yeah. All right. Thanks again for the question. Um, I hope that was helpful, and good luck. It's time now for us to recommend things. It's the part of the show that we call Recommendations. Rebecca, what do you recommend? I'm so excited to recommend this um, because it's one of those things that I saw on Twitter and then it got me into a rabbit hole and I'm like, everybody needs to get into this rabbit hole and look at this thing. It's so great. Um, I saw a tweet the other day, uh, which was a simple tweet in which an eight-year-old girl from Japan, Yoyoka Soma, is playing the drums along with the Led Zeppelin song, Good Times, Bad Times. Yes. And she's freaking awesome. Like, she's yeah. awesome. She just completely not just, like, nails the precision of it, but there's also this little side view of her uh, bass drum pedal. And when you see what she's doing with her feet and the hands and you realize she's eight, like, it is unbelievable. So then looking further, I saw that she had entered this video uh, through Vimeo in this Hit Like a Girl contest, which is a drumming contest that's put on for women. And uh, they have age categories, they have kids age category, adult age category. So then I followed that link 
And I also followed the link to Yoyoka Soma's own website, uh, which is in Japanese, but you can translate it with the magic of Google Chrome to be in English and watch all these other incredible videos of her playing the drums. So my recommendation is to check out the videos on both the Hit Like a Girl contest website and check out this incredible eight-year-old Japanese drummer, Yoyoka Soma. Show it to your kids. It is just like mind-blowing how small and accomplished and badass this little girl is. And it's one of those videos that just brings like so much joy. I shared it with uh, Henry, who, as you know, plays the drums. He's in on his school trip right now in Europe. I sent him the video. He sent me like a million texts back about it because he was like so excited to show it to all the other kids on the bus. I show it to my son, Teddy, who plays the bass. He was super impressed. And I shared it at work. It's one of those videos that like will awe you and everybody in your family. So I'll make sure the links are available so that we can post them on the Facebook page. You got to check out uh, this girl playing the drums. It's incredible. Uh, that sounds great. We'll put it on our show page and in the Facebook group. Carvel, what do you recommend? Uh, going back to the uh, the music theme, I'm going to dip back into my days as a music writer and recommend a song. And this came up because the other triumph I was going to talk about, but I didn't, is that the three of us recently took a road trip, me, Ezra, and Georgia, and I handed Ezra, Ezra, I handed Ezra the ox cord, which is a big thing to endow a kid with the ox like you get to choose you get to play dj and then he just blew me away with his song choices it was it was like his understanding of music has advanced so much from like you know two years ago when it was just migos 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 drake and migos and um this song he didn't play although it was on his playlist but now i'm going to recommend it which is um bill withers a lovely day just one look at you and I know it's gonna be a lovely day. Which is a song oh, yeah. that is so great for families and kids because the lyrics are so simple and it's so fun to sing. And it's just a song about how it's a lovely day. And that's pretty much all it is. It's like being in love with someone and it's a lovely day. And it's so fun to sing because it's so repetitive, but the groove is so good. And uh, it just popped into my head as like, because a lot of times we get songs where parents are, I mean, we get letters where parents are like, oh, my kid listens to this dumb music about colors and I can't fucking stand it. But if I turn it off, then they freak out. And I feel you on that. And I just feel like at a certain point, maybe kids, you know, I don't know, four, five, six Bill Withers' A Lovely Day is such a great family song, so I'm going to recommend that. That's a great idea, and that could well be uh, useful in my own home. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to recommend, uh, this is a toy kit that Leo got for his birthday that we, we put together right afterwards. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different kits that you can get that interconnect with these same pieces. It's called Gears, Gears, Gears. There's an exclamation point after each of those gears. So I, I guess it's called Gears, Gears, Gears. Uh, <laughs> and it's made by a company called Learning Resources. And it's really fun. You can build like cars and motorcycles and vehicles. And they have gears that uh, turn around and fit together. And so it teaches some, it, like in theory, it's supposed to, like, it's one of those like STEM toys. And it slightly annoys me that like building toys now have to be classified as like STEM toys because we're all trying to put our <laughs> children through college when they're three years old or whatever but um 
anyway, it's fun and he really likes putting it together and, and I'm going to get him some more kits with uh, interlocking pieces so that he can build more crazy vehicles out of these really cool plastic gears. Uh, so uh, my recommendation is the Learning Resources Gears, Gears, Gears series of um, different building toys. And that's our show. If you've got a question that you would like us to address, you can call us and leave a message at 424-257-833 or email us your question at slate.com. You can let us know what you thought of the show and post your own parenting questions, triumphs, and fails on our Facebook group. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. A lot of great action there. Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we will see you next week. 